This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I want to thank everyone who supports me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Got lots of good content coming your way uh, over the next couple of weeks, including this show. Uh, this show is with Matty Turner from Becoming a Bow Hunter podcast. I haven't done a lot of bow hunting stuff probably for a couple of years now, maybe a little bit longer. So I thought, all right, who do I know? Who am I following on Instagram? Bang, Matty's podcast came up and I thought what better way to cross platform cross promote uh, than getting someone on a show providing awesome content out there for listeners especially in the bow hunting industry so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about gear we're going to talk about bows we're going to talk about uh, equipment we're going to talk about top tips we're going to talk about how he got involved uh, and why he got involved in wanting to create a bow hunting podcast uh, for the bow hunters out there I guess not just in Australia but all over the world that they can learn tips and tricks to become a better bow hunter People have been asking me where you can find the podcast. Um, pretty much if you go on the website, all the links are there. But most of you guys know we are on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. You can also listen to the show from the website. And you can also download the Podbean app uh, from the App Store or on Android uh, to listen to the show. What I'd really appreciate, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you'd like to, of course, <laughs> would be to leave a kind comment on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. I think we've got close to 275 or 200 uh, and 80 comments so if you could leave just a you know a kind five-star comment and what you like about the show uh, I'd really really appreciate that of course um, the patreon supporters that support me again want to thank all you guys that's building nicely and I guess we've built a bit of a community of people that support me so I'm able to upgrade equipment uh, I did upgrade my deck my recording deck probably about three or four five months ago and uh, that was really from the help of all the people that supported me uh, on Patreon. So for as little as five bucks a month, which is basically $2.50 a show, if I do two shows per month, uh, you can support some great Aussie content uh, in the podcasting industry. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash AHP and uh, I'd really, really appreciate that. Uh, also too, if you go on the website and click store, um, I think I've sold about, I don't know, don't know what happened over the last couple of weeks, but I probably in the last week and a half probably sold about 50 AHP stickers. They're just going off at the moment. So if you want to buy some go on the australianhuntingpodcast.com.au website and click on store uh, scroll to the bottom and you'll see the buy it now they're only six bucks and they are absolutely fantastic 20 by 20 centimeters die cut um, and if you do buy one guys please either email me or the australian hunting podcast facebook page or the instagram page and send us a few pictures of where you put it whether it's on your gun safe whether it's on your car I'd love to see where you guys put it because I often share them on Instagram. Um, I noticed just two, just this morning actually, I went into my spam box and I saw a couple of people had sent me stickers. Normally I don't even check the spam box because normally Google does a great job of uh, sifting through the bad stuff and, and, and putting in the spam folder. But this is the first time I've actually looked in that folder forever and there were actually two people that had written to me based on questions. Um, and, then, and then it was one other person who sent me some uh, 
pictures of the stickers on where they put them on their vehicle. So I'm really, really sorry if anyone's listening to this show and I haven't responded to you or haven't read out your um, question on the show. Um, it's not my intention. Um, please send it to me again, AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com uh, or just message me directly. Let me know you've sent me one if I haven't responded to you or you haven't heard it on the show. I was quite surprised to see um, questions and sticker pictures in the spam box folder. So just a thing for you there, guys, to let you know that I'm not purposely um, not responding to you. Um, sometimes I can't respond to everybody, but um, yeah, I'm just, I wonder how many people have sent me stickers to my email uh, or questions that I just have not seen. So it looks like Facebook, sorry, Google needs to uh, up their game on uh, what they consider spam coming into uh, your inbox. So I think what we're going to do is uh, get onto the show. Uh, we're going to chat to Maddie Turner from Becoming a Bow Hunter podcast. So without further ado, let's get into the show with Maddie Turner. Maddie Turner, welcome to HP, mate. Thanks for joining me to uh, come on and have a chat, man. Not only about your podcast, but also uh, a bit of bow hunting and uh, what you also like to hunt. And I'm sure we're going to go down a few rabbit holes with some good discussions. So thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, Jay, thanks for having me. I mean, 10 years in the in the game, you're kind of leading it. But um, yeah, it's awesome to kind of have a chat to other like-minded people. It's, it's just good fun to jump on and have a call like this. Yeah, no, it is exactly. I mean, there's always people, there always seems to be, and this is what I'm trying to do, you know, guess going forward as well there seems to be you know people get a bit you know like we especially around youtube and podcasting like oh if someone's got a podcast they're my enemy i don't just don't see shit mm. like that i just um you know like probably years gone past you know probably early on you do get a bit you know funny i guess when people but mate, the more content the more people post and stuff the more people getting into you know hunting shooting bow hunting fishing whatever it is in the outdoors mate is good in my opinion and those people are good by me so yeah, man, I agree. Any, anything that's kind of getting people outdoors and doing a little bit more for their mental health is huge. I think realistically, like everyone, some people say that, oh, bow hunters are different and, and rifle hunters are different, but really we're all, we're all hunters, we're all humans, we're all doing the same thing. I think as long as we, I think that people should actually bind together a little bit more. I think we get a lot more out of that. Yeah, mate, I agree totally. But first off, I normally do it at the end, but, I mean, it's better off to do it at the start so people can hear it straight away. But if people want to find your podcast or they want to sort of listen to it and, you know, have a listen to what you're, you know, what you're doing if they haven't heard from you yet, just give us all the links and where you're at, social medias, all that good stuff, emails, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. So it's um, Becoming a Bowhunter is my podcast. Um, and so you can find us on Instagram at becomingabowhunter.podcast. It's probably the place I'm most active. It is on it is on Facebook, and I do have a YouTube channel, which is just becoming a bow hunter. But realistically, the best places to find it is across any any of your podcast um, platforms. If you just type in becoming a bow hunter, it'll it'll pop on up, and you'll be able to hear my pretty voice with all the other people I interview. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, tell us about, um, I guess yourself. How did you? I mean, get into when did you decide to pick up a bow? How old were you? Just a bit about your background and I guess history growing up. Yeah, mate. So I'm actually very fresh into it. I'm I'm uh, I'm 30 now, and I picked up a bow when I was 28. Um, and so I I didn't actually grow up in a hunting family. I grew up with my dad being a vet. So it's kind of like from the opposite realm where I had this deep love for animals growing up, and I, I still do. Like they absolutely fascinate me. I'm I'm always I was always the kid that when we were driving. I would be looking out in the countryside, just waiting to see um, any sort, any any form of movement in the bushes, so I could see what it was. Um, and realistically, I kind of we, we actually grew up on a property later in life, a cattle property. And in that time, we had slingshots and we freaking caused havoc to the the local critters. 
Um, and then it kind of <laughs> went down the route of shooting 22s and getting into the, the old rabbits every once in a while. And we, dad kind of <clears throat> showed us that you, you can utilize the meat from a young age. So we would shoot these rabbits and cook us up this rabbit stew, which is just always absolutely incredible. And everyone in the family really loved it. Um, and I think that's what kind of started the seed for me. And later down track in life, I, I came across some some friends. We've still got family that live out of that property. Um, came across some friends that were actually hunting a little bit. And I think just in my time of life, it wasn't it wasn't for me yet. I I, I appreciated what they were doing. I was like, hey, that's great. But I just I didn't put the time into it. And then eventually, one of my mates who's actually down in Sydney, he was getting really big into bow hunting, and he's like, "Mate, you got to try it. You got to, you got to give it a whirl." Like, and so we went over to his house for dinner, and he just got me out. We had a few beers, and we just started shooting his bow out in the backyard. Um, and it really kind of captured my eye straight away. I was like, "Wow, this is actually something that could be really cool. Like, it's a, it's a it's a good hobby, but also." I saw straight away just what uh, what state it can help you with in the, in the mental game realistically. Like I find it as a really meditative state picking up the bow, and I think um, I think you guys probably agree with this in in regards to shooting. Like it's single focus. It's it, when you live in a world that's so busy and you're so occupied with everything and anything uh, at the press of a, a thumb of a button, like realistically if you can sit down and you actually sit and you're focusing on your target and you really put a lot of effort into that and there's so much that goes into the shot process um for both rifle hunters and bow hunters and that's something i'm sure we'll dive into but that that kind of thing stuck out to me straight away i was like wow there's actually something in this and we got that property i was talking about every other year for easter and we we typically do like um just a whole heap of fun games like shooting slingshots at plates and it's like a speed game and then we've got like shooting we've got like a massive slingshot that we shoot tennis balls down to the field you go try to get into a big 44 gallon drum we play golf and we do all these other bits and pieces just on their property and i was, I was like you know it'd be really cool as if i was to get a recurve bow um and take that up and so everyone can just have a shoot of a bow like I'll, I'll buy some of the woolies woolies were making these um little styrofoam rabbits for easter so i bought like 15 of those and put them at all different distances and and tried to shoot them as we went up but turned out that the bow was too powerful for most of the people there so it pretty much was <laughs> me and my cousin who ended up shooting it and that was about it so it was good fun. And when I got up there, my cousin actually had a, a compound bow, which is the ones with the wheels and the ones that look yeah, pretty extreme. And it kind of really, I think, tipped me over the edge to say, okay, I think it's time that I, I make that upgrade. And I, I picked up, once I bought that recurve, that first bow that I bought, it was literally within a, a matter of like, even when I was going to get it, my mind was racing and it was all I could think about. And I had to work really hard to find a balance again because I run a company uh, to find the balance of, okay, well, you've got time to, to think about hunting. You've got time to think about work and you, you need to make sure you're petitioning the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Which we don't normally really want to do. Don't we wish we're all out hunting most of the time instead of this work bullshit <laughs> stuff. So. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> I always say to the guys, I said, I'm sure bow hunters hopefully don't have a beef with me because I keep saying I've never spoken a bad word about them because I, and I've said multiple times on multiple shows over the years. I mean, I've tried to stalk in on, on especially more so deer than probably anything you know goats can be you know a little bit easier depending on if they've been sort of shot at or not shot at but you know things like pigs with not having sort of the great eyesight but deer man i can't even get them with the gun sometimes so full respect goes out to you know bow hunters out there how on earth they get 
you know, within, say, 20, 30, 40 metres, you know, of a deer, um, especially when you're trying to get up there, you know, noisy ground, leaves, sticks and things like that. I'm like, mate, all the power and all the respect to them because you guys are guns if you get that stalking down. <laughs> if you got it, teach me because I'd like to know how you bastards do it. That's for sure. Mate, it's definitely a different game and I think you're always learning. Like, I kind of, I came into it very um, ignorant or arrogant, whichever way you want to put it. I, I kind of thought I've got access to a property up here in Queensland that has red deer on it. Like, I'm going to have a deer down within the first year. And um, here I am, 2020, so I started 2018, so I still haven't actually got a deer down. I'm still chasing the reds, and I get I get close to them all the time, like 30, even 20 metres, but just not with a shot opportunity. And um, it's it's that ongoing battle for me right now that I absolutely love the challenge, but at the same time it it, it grinds me down <laughs> as much as it as much as it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say when you you were talking about your dad being a vet, so I mean, what'd you do? And I'm normally there, you know, obviously pretty you know, fairly loving of animals and stuff. So you popped in home and said, oh, "Hey, Dad, um, think about buying a bow and going hunting." What what did he say? That would have been interesting, or. Mate, it's actually the coolest thing. So when I when I went home and told Dad that I bought the the recurve bow, he's like, "Oh, no way!" Because he loves he loves woodwork, woodwork, and he's like, "No way!" I've actually been looking up how to make my own bow, and so he had a whole heap of these limbs hanging out to dry um, whilst he was trying to yeah work out the correct thickness and everything for his bows, um, and he was making a, an old school like longbow. So I thought it was just absolutely so sick that we'd both kind of. Uh, not talked about this thing and then all of a sudden we've both fallen into the category of wanting to do it at the same time and his is definitely a little bit more leisurely but the other cool thing is that um, my my nephew has really taken a liking to it from me doing it he's going to say oh can I have a bow and arrow so it's kind of given dad something else to connect with my nephew and his grandson for um, and so yeah I think it's really cool and it's something that I want to do a bit more with dad's actually taking out for a bow hunting session or something like that I think that would be absolutely incredible so when you were starting, I guess your podcast. I mean, becoming a bow hunter. I guess that's obviously you know, about yourself, but you know, and, and bringing you know information to people that might want to get into bow hunting or professionals alike. But I guess that's what an evolution is it for you, sort of you know, growing, interviewing people, and growing as yourself, becoming a bow hunter. Yeah. So my whole aspect of it was I kind of came into it. Um, I didn't know anyone in the hunting world, especially up here in Queensland. Like I knew I knew my my cousin's husband. Um, but he's a rifle shooter and I, I wanted to learn more about archery and bow hunting. And I kind of, I knew there was a few YouTube channels out and about, but I'm really, um, quite an audible learner. So I love to listen to podcasts. I love to listen to audio books and that's really my jam. I could get a lot out of that. And I already had all the podcast gear from my, my company. Um, we, we run weekly podcasts with it. So I was like, you know what, why not just try it out, see how it goes, reach out to a few people See if you can do a few interviews with some people who really know what they're doing in the, in the bow hunting world and just try to learn something. And if I'm learning something, definitely someone else is going to learn something from it. So that was pretty much what it always came about. It, it was a bit selfish, but at the same time, I knew I was going to share it with people. And what started to happen, Jace, was absolutely incredible. Like, And I'm sure you get it too, but people were reaching out. Like, I, I still get it almost daily. Like, People reach out all the time saying, mate, thank you so much for this episode or thank you so much yep. for this tip or I tried this thing when I was out and about and, oh, geez, it works so well. And it's not even my experience, to be honest. Like, These, these are the people that are coming on and helping me 
and these other people. But what it's doing is it's causing all of these individuals to get out and be a little bit more successful out in the bush. And it's, it's absolutely, um, yeah, it's really beautiful to see how it kind of pieces all together. Still blows my mind, even after this long of doing this show, that, you know, people get something out of it and you leave comments. And it kind of seems surreal because, you know, as you would know, you're behind a microphone. Sometimes you really don't get to see people. It's not something that you can, you know, relate to people like face to face with like doing a show or something. Sometimes you obviously do do that. and It's fantastic. But a lot of it is kind of solitary at times. And, you know, when you see the comments coming in or the support on Patreon or whatever, people throwing a bit a few bucks your way going, this is great. And you just, I just, it still wows me today to think, wow, man, people actually see some value that they're, willing to throw a couple of bucks of their hard-earned cash that they earn, you know, when people are already doing it tough as it is, your way to keep the show going and keep the content flowing. And as you know, whilst content may not be, you know, fantastic to everyone, there's always something for somebody on your show to get something out of it. Whether they don't like this type of show, maybe the next one they might enjoy or, you know, whatever it may be, it still just blows my mind today that, you know, people will leave good comments and you get these, you know, which you've had, you know, as well, you get these kind comments, you get these emails, you get these Instagram messages and, man, wow, like it's crazy. Yeah, I think it's awesome that you just get to see a different perspective as well, like, I think anyone who thinks they know it all is obviously they can go and deal with themselves like they're not going to get that far in life. But when you hear a different perspective, even if it's the same thing you think, but you just hear it from a different point of view, um, I think that can really kind of open your eyes and really make you think differently when you are taking those steps out in the bush or even when it comes down to things like conservation and stuff. And I know we're not as big on it within here in Australia, but it's cool to kind of get some of like the Northern American out, outlook on that and really understand a little bit more as to, I guess, their morals and their ethics around it all and how we can really start to translate some of that to our country as well. And although we've got the ability to whack and stack, it's like, well, what are you actually doing it for? What What's the cause? Are you taking the meat? Are you going to utilize the meat? Um, are you going to just do the whack and stack? Because that's what the, what the farmer wants. And it's funny, like every once in a while you get the people blow up and they'll come across your page and they're not hunters and they, they want to have a, a quick conversation about it. But <laughs> I, I try not to even really waste my energy on it, to be honest. Because Conversation like, is the nice way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, there's no there's no reasoning with them. So um, as much as I've tried, probably a, a, I'd say a handful of times, it always didn't end up in either of us. It came to like a, a agree to disagree sort of situation. So I was like, hey, what's the point in even going ahead and doing that? Whereas when we can help to influence those who are going ahead and actually making that creative or I guess making that that effort to get out and do these things in the wild. It's like, hey, how can we at least maybe start to see better things happening in the bush so we're not injuring animals and leaving um, leaving like a bad name or not poaching or whatever it is. So, yeah, not leaving a bad name on the hunting world. Absolutely, man. Guys, quick break and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible, zero-interest payment options, including afterpay and zip pay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. Mate, what a follow-up as well. I know you're, you're married, so 
I'm not sure if you were mm. bow hunting. Um, this is always a fun curveball question for some people. What did you cut when you, similar to your dad, when you came home and said, hey, babe, want to, um, you know, do a bit of this bow hunting business? Uh, what was the reaction? Hey, she's actually all for it. She really loves it. Uh, loves it. it. Gives me something to go out and do. I think obviously the fact that you have to go away to do it can be a little hard at times, um, especially we've got a little 10 month old now. She's almost 10. Um, and so that definitely changed the whole dynamic of it. But I just went away for a weekend and we had her mum come and help out. And so things like that, like obviously it's changed the way that it all plays out, but it's still something that we can go and potentially enjoy as a family. Like we'll go on a camping trip and um, it gives space the time my wife to kind of have that chill out time and have that space away from the everyday world and actually get to enjoy some time with Mads as well. And then I'll come come back in the lunchtime and we'll, we'll hang out and do that do that family thing for a bit and then I'll go back out for a little stalk of the afternoon or whatever. So it, it is kind of like trying to include them as well. Um, and like I definitely get space on the bow every once in a while. She hasn't really done it for a long time because it's kind of like, okay, that's your thing. You can go and do that. But I really love that she is supportive of it and always has been. Um, I think because she sees so many benefits from it in regards to the mental health side of things. And I'm not someone who's ever been stressed or sorry, not never been stressed, but never been depressed. But I think realistically that she's seen also the the things that it's helped other people to do through my podcast as well. Um, and just that, that little bit of, uh, realistically, it's, it's just a, a form of meditation, like I kind of said before. And I think she really sees the benefit from that. But then also we see the benefit of, of having meat in the freezer when, when, when we're finally successful. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I've been a proponent for that for a long time, always posting that sort of stuff on Instagram. If, you know, especially during these times with what's going on, I mean, no, it's more hitting more Victoria at the moment than other things, but just in general, like, you know, if guys need to chat, I'm, always take a phone call from somebody i'm never too busy for someone that needs help and yeah it's really important that um you know if people are feeling like that they need to seek help as much as possible and not bottle it up and talk to your mates and you know, you know it's, it's just hugely important mate yeah you know, males are the most ones that commit suicide high numbers just it's unacceptable mm-hmm. so we need to make sure we're looking after each other and you know, I say give me a call if you if you need if you need some help I'm, i'll talk to anyone regardless of whether we know each other or not but um what about in the future, mate? Um, I get this question a lot after 10 years. Uh, you know, when would you consider stopping or, you know, how long are you going to do this for or what's the plans for the future? And I said, I don't know, man, I'm just riding the wave when it, you know, no longer becomes fun, I'll probably stop doing it. Um, so what's your plans for the future in regards to, I mean, guests or where do you want to take it? What's your plan? I mean, probably a big question, but... Yeah, well, so, I mean, this is funny because Stace just asked me this the other day. She's like, do you see boat hunting being something that's, in your life for the rest of your life. I'm like, yeah, bloody hell. It's like the, the adventure, the, the out, like the time outdoors, like everything that it brings to my life, even just giving me something to, to tinker with in the shed or whatever. Like every aspect of it is incredible. Um, and realistically the bow, the bow hunting podcast that I run is just kind of a part that helps that run along as well. Um, even if it's just to help you get a few more ideas, like I talked about before. So, Realistically, I see bow hunting now being a part of my life, which is, is pretty maybe um, maybe early on, a bit premature for me to say, with it only being in there for the last two years, two and a bit years. But realistically, I think it, it is kind of a, a way of life and something that I really enjoy doing, something that I do see being in there. And I don't know about the podcast. Like right now, it's not on, it's not on hold. I just haven't had the chance to, to do some interviews. And um, I guess from a bit a bit from this back end side now that we're both podcasters, you can kind of tell the listeners like it's hard to find to find 
a time with people that works and, and often like things will happen where you set up the time and then all of a sudden you guess it doesn't rock up and things like that are really frustrating. Recently, we've had to put a lot of time into the business with, um, with what's happened with COVID. And that's completely cool. And the other side of it is now that I've got my daughter, things have kind of been a lot more hands-on. So I haven't had as much time as what I did to start with, but it's definitely something that I'm still very interested in and still going to do more of. I've just taken a quick break right now while we're setting up some new stuff and then I'm going to shuffle back in. But there's a good 40 episodes of really good content there right now. So it's kind of like a little bit of a pause and I'm going back into it. So yeah, I don't see either of them going away just yet. Um, but the podcast would probably not be as fast moving as what it was once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, you know, like two years of dedication, which is fantastic because I, just, I was just looking at recently and I thought to myself, well, how long do people normally do podcasting for? Is it a long-term thing? Like when do you, you know, and then I noticed I just did a bit of a search and it seems the average of most people giving it up and as you, as we both realise how you know, difficult it can be, guests and all the stuff that goes in behind what people just you know, are hearing you know, when they hear this show, what's gone into me and you going backwards and forwards and questions and stuff like that and it seems to be the average is about six to 12 months so we're both doing, <laughs> we're both doing pretty good compared to most people that start podcasts that end up quitting so there you go yeah my business podcast has been running for four years now wow, um, cool. we're actually we're actually just about to completely make a reshuffle on how it how it actually gets produced and what what happens in it but um yeah that's a different conversation absolutely what do you what do you like to hunt man so when you picked up the bow what do you go out and hunt what's your favorite what are you planning what do you want to do yeah you know, in your bow hunting career say over the next 10 years yeah, man. So, I mean, really, I would love to go after anything within Australia. Um, when I first picked up the bow, like I said before, I was lucky because I had access to the red deer up here. In, in, I'm in the Brisbane Valley, so I'm in Brizzy, and I've got access up, at, up near Gympie, so it counts as the Brisbane Valley. And um, where I've actually got access to has incredible genetics. So I'm really quite fortunate in that sense. And right now, my eyes are still set on the reds. Like it's been my goal from the start. And it's almost like this elusive beast that I haven't been able to get down yet. Um, and I've had plenty of stalks, like I said, within 20 or 30 meters, and it just hasn't pieced together yet. So that's kind of like the big goal right now. Um, uh, I've definitely put down, I've put down some wild dogs, I've put down some go- goats, I've put down some rabbits, some hares, um, some pigs. So it's kind of like realistically, I'm still in early, early stages of it and I'm still doing a lot of it for meat. So um, not a lot is really safe when it comes by me to start with, but I'm sure that will start to slow down. I'll start to kind of look after or look for um, the certain trophy kills as such to some, to some extent. But right now I'm really enjoying this kind of, going on hunts and enjoying the wild and actually just getting out and enjoying being out in the wild and really actually seeing what nature has to come or what nature has to give. And realistically, some of the things you see out in the bush, like it's stuff that you wouldn't, you wouldn't even expect you're going to see when you go out, like seeing, seeing a line of um, the itchy grubs fucking just trying to move from one nest to another. Or the other day I was out and this, this flock of pigeons flew over and it sounded like a freaking avalanche. Like there was, there would have been, I don't know, two to 300 odd pigeons just flying and just dodging in through the, uh, the, the trees as they were cruising down this mountain. I just thought it was so cool just to see that. Like it just, it just was like overpowering how, how the sound was and going out and, having kangaroos and stuff almost jump into you because you're wearing camouflage. Like uh, when you're out or when I'm out bow hunting, I'm usually kind of head to toe and you, you've got like your eye eye gap and that's about it showing. So yeah, it's quite, quite cool to kind of see that close proximity to the animals and really get to see nature on a different, different level. Yeah. I hope to see you some updates on the podcast soon where you actually, 
get one. At least you're two years you've gotten close. I know I got two years. It took me five years, and that was with a, with a gun. You know what I mean? So mm, I hope yours yeah. doesn't take anywhere near as long as mine. <laughs> I was using a gun. But you're right, I had plenty of opportunities. You know, just what just didn't work out for me. And, you know, just from doing the show, you get offers here and there, sometimes in different states. And I'm like, yeah, listen, that's great. But, you know, I don't want to be given it, man. I, like, I appreciate it. And some of those guys I've hunted with, you know, after I've got my deer or several deer yeah. since. Then it's so weird because when I got my first one, it was like, oh, man, I just felt so relieved. And then, mate, almost, uh, and this was a lot of it public land, but most, if not all trips, about the seven or eight trips after that, it was, I can't explain it. It was like the monkey was off my back and then I was just knocking mm. deer left, right and center after that <laughs> trip. And I'm like, how is it? This has got to be weird. Like someone's looking out for me or not looking out for me. I've got no idea. How on earth can I go five years, five, six, seven trips a year, days in, walking, just being in the wrong position, being on the, being winded, um, being seen, yeah, trying my best, being heard. And then after that one, it's like the, the floodgates just opened. Mate, the amount of times I've heard that from literally every hunter I've talked to is, is so it's so funny. Like that's literally just the way it goes. So I'm excited for the day that it comes, and I'm definitely not slowing down anytime soon to, to not get there. So yeah, I'm sure it will all piece together. And I think realistically, like I said, the journey itself has been really enjoyable anyway. And I've got so many stories to share as it is. And if that was all that bow hunting ever came to be for me, then I'd be I'd be stoked. I'd be absolutely thrilled with how it's gone. But within saying that that's not how it's going to end so yeah <laughs> i know it's crazy it sounds cliche people go like is that how it really worked out i'm like dude i, w- I wish i was lying like i just wish yeah. i was lying because you know when you get that first one the floodgates just open i've heard the exact same thing too and i was like i've i've literally lived it i'm like wow like do things just is someone looking over me because this couldn't be how life turns out of struggling for five years <laughs> maybe i'm learning maybe you know i found that the sitting and waiting method you know sitting on game trails waiting waiting on, you know, opposite, you know, uh, some, some lush green land, waiting on the fringes, waiting on game trails, sitting there for a couple of hours. And probably that's the biggest thing I've learned is what you will see in an area over the space of two and a half hours before dark on what comes past you, wild dogs, maybe brumbies if you're in that type of area, feral cats, um, things like that, goats or pigs or, or wild dogs and whatever it may be. And it's amazing what you see and how animals react when they don't actually know you're there and you just think wow like if i'd have walked past this place i would never have seen all this i would never have seen it mm. yeah so, yeah the amount of times you'd be walking in the bush you, you bump an animal whether you get to see it or not is is like it happens regularly like i'd say every hunt i go on i bump an animal of some some sort and it really kind of makes you understand like wow there is actually a lot out here and like you said if, if you're moving they're going to be moving too because they want to get away from you um and it's like if you sit still you, you tend to actually see a lot and like you said game trails or even a, a water source if you can find yourself something like that you, you're typically going to find some form of life coming coming through Exactly. Guys, quick break and be right back. Even though they're back in business, the closure of gun shops in three states during the coronavirus pandemic was an attack on every shooter's right to go shooting. That's why the National Shooting Council has taken legal action so that it doesn't happen again. The NSC is also leading the fight to stop the reclassification of firearms and is providing important voting advice for every shooter in every state, territory and federal election coming up. That's why the NSC is the leading political organisation for shooters across Australia. So support its work by becoming a member today. For more information, go to nationalshooting.org.au. 
Matty, what about any plans to uh, have you hunted overseas? Any plans to? I remember just there was only a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago. I, I saw, I don't know, they weren't hunting, but there was a couple of campers over in Africa somewhere being absolutely terrorised by about two lions and pulling at their tents. And I thought, oh, I don't know about this if I'm going to go to African countries. So, you know. Mate, it's, it's very interesting. I, like when I first came into it, I thought, you know what, I've got enough here in Australia. Um, but the further I've gone down the rabbit hole, the more I want to go. Um, and so I think that's, I think that's actually a very typical route for a lot of people. And, the, the first one that I would definitely do, being that it's so close and so achievable, is New Zealand, definitely. Um, I think there's so much to offer over there. And I actually was offered a, a tar hunt this year. It was meant to go down in August. But um, given the whole situation is the first piece, but the second piece was actually the guy that was meant to be taking me out was in a car crash. So um, it, it kind of it, pieces didn't come together and it's kind of now obviously falling apart right now and that's fine. It will be something that happens later down track. And to be honest, I, I'm still up in arms about the whole Africa thing. Like I support people who go and do it, but it's not something that interests me as such yet. And it might be something that I come around to later at a later date. But um, I don't know. Like I grew up absolutely loving the the African safari. Like I had so many African toys and stuff. And I'm, I'm quite surprised I don't really want to go and do it. But maybe there's a, I don't know, an underlying factor laying in there because it was like my childhood. I'm not sure, but realistically I think um, Northern, yeah, North America really quite interests me quite a lot and um, something like the elk or the moose would be absolutely incredible and to be honest I just I would love to try eating cougar because I've heard that many good stories about it being the best pork you'll ever eat even though it's a cat um, yeah I'd, I'd love to go over and just experience the the taste of the wild experience the actual wild and just kind of see that a little bit more in depth yeah sure i was like you know why i keep thinking you know why haven't i done it and then i go oh yeah money <laughs> yeah, so, yeah exactly <laughs> which is a, a fairly big factor on um you know going over and doing you know especially guided hunts and stuff like that can cost you know, quite a fair bit of money um so Definitely. i look at i look at the african stuff i thought yeah it'd be nice but you know shit you know all the things i want to do man i'd have no money left so <laughs> what do you do <laughs> yeah I've had some friends who have made the trips over and absolutely loved it. Like, yeah, I've, I've had a had a few guys on my podcast and heard their experiences. And I think it sounds absolutely great. Um, but yeah, like I said, for me right now, it's definitely not um, definitely not top of the line. Yeah, absolutely. What about mate, game meat? You, you were talking a fair bit early on about game meat and you know utilizing that. So, what's your go-to? How do you like to prepare it? What's your favorite meat? Um, any specific, you know, not recipes, but the way you like to prepare it that people could look at if they wanted to, you know, get into eating game meats and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, realistically, everything that I've shot, apart from the wild dog, I've had a, I've had a child. Um, and I think, realistically, you can make anything taste good um, if you know how to cook. And really, I think. Probably the, the biggest mistake people make is trying to do it very bland or too plain. Um, and that can be really nice every once in a while. But using a slow cooker or something like that on something that is a little bit gamey can really get rid of that gamey taste as such and make it just actually a really flavorsome meal. So, I mean, lots of curries and things like that for your goats. Um, even even for your, your uh, red deer, I think on my YouTube channel, I've got probably two red deer 
recipes that are really, really nice. One's a juniper berry one and one's um, uh, like a masala curry or something. And they're, they're both my go-tos whenever I get to – whenever I get some some red red deer meat. And I actually got gifted um, pretty much a whole beast one year from a, a mate that lives down in Melbourne, came up bow hunting up here and was successful. And so he's like, hey, mate, do you want the meat? I was like, oh, I would not say no to that. So that filled our freezer for kind of half a year, which is unreal. But more recently – uh, I've been going on some goat trips and they've been a lot of fun. They're, goats are goats are really they're a great way to kind of hone in your skills. Like you were saying about before, yeah. the goats they're a little bit more dull in regards to their responses to you. And sometimes they'll sit. They're a pretty curious animal. They'll sit and spit at you for a while, and you can they might spit at you for a while, and then they'll kind of forget you're there and keep doing their thing, or just not be as worried about you. Um, because you haven't then gone and attacked them as such, and then you can get closer to be able to do your do your, um, your shooting. But um, I, I think they're really quite a, a great animal to kind of, I guess, kind of get your skills up realistically. Um, so yeah, the goat curry, I absolutely love them. I've actually got a little bit of a recipe here. It's, well, I'm not not going to give you actual amounts, but it's just garlic, ginger, garam masala, some tomato. So either like your tin tomato or just tomato paste. Yeah. Um, turmeric, cardamom, onion, paprika, salt, cinnamon, coriander leaves, and some cloves. Um, and it's realistically, it's like kind of a, a teaspoon of each. Not quite. You do put a little bit extra in, in some of them, like your paprika and stuff. Get get a whole onion, get a whole clove or two of ginger. Uh, sorry, a whole clove or two of garlic and another ginger. And that's just absolutely beautiful. Like you put some hot water in with it or some coconut milk, and it just it just comes out so I don't know, so tender and. I absolutely love what, what the meat can do. And I went on a goat hunt just literally on the weekend. I was glad to get in before the before the borders shut, but I, um, I've literally got one yeah, slow cooking right now. I've got a, a back leg and a front leg all cooking together. So I'm, I'm stoked. It's, it's making my mouth water right now just um, having it there. Jeez, <laughs> must be actually, a big slow cooker, is it? Or <laughs> Mate, it is. No, they weren't the biggest goats, to be honest. But they're, um, they're very tasty. But actually, so this is one thing. I uh, got access... So where I go hunting for red deer, they've got hares. And um, I don't know if you've ever shot a hare, but they're freaking massive compared to rabbits. Yeah. Like they've got a lot of meat on them. Um, and so, yeah, I got really quite excited to try it out. And I tried um, tried a recipe from online, a sriracha hare, and that was quite nice, like a, a slow cook hare. But I found it was only really nice when it first came out of the pot. So I wanted to just experiment. Everyone always talks about doing Kentucky fried um like Kentucky fried rabbit. So I was like, heck, why not make your own variation of, of, um, hair? So I tried it out and I'm, I'm, um, gluten intolerant. So I, I don't have breadcrumbs. So I just use the gluten free bread. I used some corn flour and I double basted it. So I did the egg, um, dumped it in corn flour, put it back in the egg and then dumped it in the breadcrumbs and then just did a light fry on it. I also had some oregano in salt and oregano in the corn flour. And mate, it absolutely it was absolutely beautiful. Like I, I was so blown away with how how tasty that was just from doing that little thing. And I wouldn't have thought it to be like that at all. Um, but yeah, that that's probably been one of my favourite game meals that I've I've tried so far today. It's funny you say that too. I've got a couple of mates and you know, we're, all, we're all sort of different cultures from Aussies to Greeks to Israelis, you name it. There's a big uh, mixture mm-hmm. of people. And I know a bunch of them that would, literally would pass up a deer, a deer hunt or a deer 
to to get a rabbit or a hare like uh, amazing game animals too and i love hunting i've got a newfound sort of you know respect and and excitement to to hunt bunnies and stuff like that i mean especially it's sort of you know short and longer ranges when i'm shooting or shooting the humble 22 or you know picking them off from the other side of the mountain you know for if i can hit them in the head for meat or not or for its pest control um you know yeah i know a lot of guys that like the number one game animal is actually hares and and um, bunnies yeah, it's unreal. I actually, um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with the bunnies on the weekend because I kind of, I'd got my goat down, one of the billies that I'd got down and I, I went back up and I, was, I just had him hanging up near the campfire. And I was like, you know what, there's a lot of log piles around here. So I just grabbed my bone and just walked slowly around the log piles and right on just before um, sundown. And so it's kind of like the time they're going to start to come out. They're nice and hungry, so they're going to be feeding. So yeah, I just did that. And then you'd walk around and every once in a while you'd bump them. They'd go kind of 20, 30 meters just try stalking and a little bit extra closer and then take your shot. So I was really stoked. I got, got my first bunny with the compound. Um, I'd, I'd actually got two bunnies with the recurve before. So that was, um, that was a, yeah, a good bonus in itself. What do you do when they're on the ground? If you hit your, your arrows on the ground, does that normally bugger them up at all or? It really depends on what head you're shooting and, and which which setup you've got, what you're shooting. If you're shooting onto dirt compared to if you're shooting onto rocks, um, you can definitely mess up an arrow just from shooting it into some rocks of some sort, but they are making them pretty hardy. I think it just kind of depends on yeah which way the arrow hits and which yeah which way it contacts with with um, with whatever it's contacting. Yeah, good, perfect segue into some gear. Let's talk about some gear. What's the go-to? Let's talk about the heads. Like, What do you find's been working for you? Because no doubt, probably after two years of doing this and, and getting into it, and you've realised, oh, I've, hey, I've done it with scopes and calibres and different types of guns, heavy guns, light guns, then realising, man, this was not the right way to go. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this you've sort of honed your skills into an area of what works for you. So what about equipment? What do people need? And, you know, things like that. Yeah, I think one of the best pieces of advice I got before going and actually buying a bow was it's kind of like a Jedi with his lightsaber. Like you're going to, you're going to find the, well, the bow's going to find you. It's not necessarily going to be that you go and find a bow. So the biggest thing I can give to people is like try get yourself to a, either an archery club or get yourself into a, a bow shop if you can and try as many bows as you can. Like go in and, and tell them you're a serious customer. You're going to be buying and you want to you want to try out a few different bows. Do your research and kind of figure it out. But I think um, the other piece of advice I got given, and it's it's kind of along the lines of like pay pay well to start, so you're not having to pay twice, like pretty much, or not not having to buy multiple times. So that was kind of a big one for me, and it, I didn't go straight to the top of the line bows, and I don't regret that at all. I've actually still got my midline bow, and it's it's been really great. But it's now kind of a few years down track. I'm starting to think, okay, well maybe I, I could, or maybe I should look at, at upgrading again so um but and that would be kind of a, a bow for the next five to ten years but realistically a, a midline bow is something that's going to get you through a few years i'd just say make sure you're not going out and buying yourself one of those ebay ripoff bows or something like that they're definitely going to fall apart <laughs> on you the tunability is just ridiculous on them like you, you're just not going to get the experience out of it that you want it's best to kind of go in with 1500 bucks to 2k and just say look like i'm really keen on getting into it and going for it but i'd say the best option to do it before even going and looking at buying a bow is 
get yourself to an archery club and just try to shoot some of the bows they've got there. Usually they've got a, a, an array of different bows you can go in and shoot. And it gives you a real understanding as to what you actually enjoy and what you like. And some some of the brands are really overpowering. They really they really look like, hey, that's the best thing ever. And then you get into it and you start to see people who have them and they're not necessarily as hot as they make it out. And it's just that they've got really good marketing teams. So I think really it's, it's about going in and shooting yourself. But when it comes to hunting, you definitely need to get yourself or when pretty much your setup, you're going to have your bow and they usually come with a bear bow. So you then need to get yourself some sort of like arrow rest or arrow riser. You need to grab yourself um, uh, some sort of sight and you can get either a multi-pin sight. So you might have it set at say like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 meters or feet, depending on which one you want to shoot. Um, and uh, you can also get a single pin. So it's just one pin in the middle and it's got an adjustment at the back. So you can just twist this little wheel essentially and it will go, okay, it's now 20 meters or you twist the wheel down that goes to say 40 meters instead. Um, so yeah, there's a few different routes you can really go from there. If you're shooting compounds, you also need to have some some form of um, release aid. And what that is, is like a trigger system. So you have a wrist strap, for instance, it's something that sits around your wrist with a little trigger system on it. You clip that to your bow, you pull the bow back, and then you press the trigger to release it. It's not all by fingers anymore um, with the with the compound bow. So there's everything from thumb release to tension release to um, trigger release, so pointer finger release. It's, it's really quite a diverse world now, and it, it gets quite in-depth. And um, like you said, there's, there's many brands and many different variations. And, and I'd say, once again, if you can get any form of um, – of trying to get into a shop or trying to get yourself to a, a, an archery range, people are happy to give you a shot or give you a play with their gear. And especially when it comes to the release aid, they're definitely willing to give you a shot on that. And um, yeah, it, it's kind of a, it's a really big rabbit hole. It really is. It, it's no pun intended, but yeah, it, it gets you down there. You have to um, you have to kind of figure out what works well for you. And a lot of it, every time you change, you have to learn. You have to reteach yourself and go again. Like the, the tension releases. People have trouble even drawing them back, let alone um, let alone actually taking proper shots. So, yeah, it's quite crazy. But if you're getting out hunting, you definitely want to get yourself some some form of broadheads. And there's there's many different theories as to what broadheads should be. Um, whether you go mechanical, so something that moves as you, as it hits on on impact, it will open up and do um, do its damage there. Or you get a fixed broad broad. Uh, broadhead. So that's something that would be like a two blade broadhead, a three blade broadhead, there's even your four blade broadheads. And that's kind of, it, it really comes down to preference. And realistically, the, the brands that are doing best here in Australia, they're all fixed broadheads. And it's because we've got access to shoot all year round. If you think about over in the States, for instance, they've typically got their hunting seasons where it's like, okay, you can go and hunt for three months of the year as a bow hunter um, on, on this particular, uh, this certain game and on other game it might be for another two months. So realistically, you're looking at yeah, five or six five or six months of the year you can go out hunting, whereas in Australia, we're, we're fortunate enough to have, if you've got access, have the ability to go all year round. So the whole idea of the fixed blade is that they're usually more stable and they can usually be reused uh, multiple times as long as you're not shooting them into rocks, for instance. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about tips, but we'll just go to another break and be right back. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% of the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit 
osaaustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. Matty, what do you reckon, other than obviously bow, broadheads and arrows, obviously, top two to three bits of equipment you think necessary for bow hunting when going out in the field, obviously, you know, being successful and making sure you're not wounding animals and those types of things? And the three things I think of the, the most used in my pack, uh, um, one is a wind checker. It's literally just the small, I don't know if you've ever used them, but it's like a little piece of, yep. it's a little plastic bottle, you squeeze it, the, the smoke puffs out and you get to see which way the wind's going. In particular, when you get close in on, on the animal, you want to make sure that the wind's constantly in your face as much as you can. Like everyone knows as soon as that wind spins, you're gone. Um, and imagine you've done all this hard work, you've been out there for two hours and then all of a sudden this wind spins and it gets, gets in gets in their face they're going to run away from you you're 20 meters away from them so that's one of the, the probably the thing i use most it's in my in my pocket and i'm just constantly pulling it out puffing it pulling it out puffing it the next thing is a rangefinder, um and that's just because when you get in close and you've got dead ground between you and them like it's it's hard um and i actually play the old depth perception game now wherever i am i'll just say like oh i think that's about 20 meters away and then if I've got my rangey on me, I'll, I'll range it. Something that I did with the mate that I was away with all weekend. I was like, what do you think that, like how far do you reckon that is? And we just did that all weekend and it really starts to bring your iron a little bit. But when you're actually taking your shot, you don't want to leave it down to your own own thoughts, <laughs> ideally. So yeah, that range finder is <laughs> massive. And then the last one is a good set of binos. Like realistically, if you can't find the game, there's no point going out. So it's good to have a good set of binos that you can check and double check on everything you're out out looking for. And I've gone hunting with quite a few different people now. It's quite interesting to kind of see the different um, the different ways that people do their binos, like just the way that they'll go out and do their different d- different checks. Like some people will take two to three steps and they'll look, and then they'll take another two to three steps and they'll look, and they'll just keep doing that and keep doing that. And I'll be uh, to be honest. At first, I was like, "Wow, why are you doing that? Like we've we've already checked this valley. There's nothing in here." And it's exactly like you said just before. If you sit there long enough, you'll see animals coming through. And so doing that few steps and taking your check, you can really cover a lot of ground and still get still be moving. So some people say, like, do, do the mile, get the smiles. It's kind of like a mix of both realistically, whereas other people will just use it every once in a while. And it, it's funny, I think kind of a mix of both is, is really great. But there's a, a mix of using binos in thick bush when it's really close proximity it can be a massive thing like that's literally what could be the difference to you seeing in the air flick or not um whereas doing obviously like a big open plain there's so many logs and rocks out there that look like animals and then you want to check them really quickly and say is it or is it not you get that quick look on and you're like yeah good it isn't and you can keep moving it's funny, I got the wind checker as well, and people say, well, what do you fill it up with when you're finished? And I thought, yeah, that's a great question. Then I figured out cornflour, and then they say, oh, but don't yeah, you don't okay. you smell that? And then the game smell that? And I go, well, if they've smelled that, they've already smelled you, you idiot. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not going to matter, is it? <laughs> hopefully they're attracted to the cornflour. Hopefully not running from you if that's the case. So, yeah, I always think if it's leaving around the place, like maybe it gives them a little bit of a, a little – it might cover your scent and hopefully yeah, lay a little bit of something tender – something nice for them to eat on. <laughs> exactly. But I just get the, the shits when I, every time I go out, I think, oh, I've got to fill up my checker. And then I go out on the last trip and I've got like 10% left. And I'm like, man, I should, have, oh, I should have got it. I really need this, you know, especially when you're sitting and waiting. If I'm thinking they're going to come from a certain area um, through some, you know, probably heavily used game trails. Well, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, the wind. Don't you hate that? Some days I've been down there. I've walked into my spot just to have shitty wind. I'm like, yeah. on the last yeah, trip, I got winded killer. several times. And and it's just like, this is just crap, you know? 
Mate, actually, as a, as a, I just got three of them. You go into a chemist and you just ask for like a, a silicone, um, a cosmetic case or a cosmetic bottle, and that's literally all those the, all those puffers are. So I've got three of those just sitting in my bag now, and I've just filled them all up. And I'm sure the day will come where I've utilized all three of them. I'm down to 10% <laughs> on each of them, and I'll be like, God damn it. But right now, it, it works really well because I've, um, yeah, I've got three full bottles ready to roll. <laughs> I should just fill it up on everyone. I've finished every trip as like pre-maintenance. Yeah, but definitely. You know, when you get home from a hard hunt or something, you're like, yeah, last thing you want to be last doing thing. is worrying about yeah. gear. But, mate, where do you think people go wrong when bow hunting, and where should they start? What's their number one, say, one or two things where you think they might go wrong? Um, like I think once you've got all these, all of your gear and everything down, I think probably some of the, the biggest things where people go wrong comes down to either not practicing enough or practicing incorrectly. Um, and I think realistically the, the shot that kills the animal is the best shot at the end of the day and how you get there, there is a, a thousand ways to skin a cat, but realistically there's definitely better methods. And so there's so much content out there right now online teaching people how to shoot properly and how not to have um, target panic and, and not to get the deer fever and whatever else. But I think the best thing you can do for yourself if you are a bow hunter is practice, practice, and practice some more. Um, because when you get yourself in front of an animal, your whole dynamic is going to change. It's going to be completely different. Um, and I think realistically, try to get yourself as close as possible. Like, as much as some people can do big shots and, and get away with that completely, typically those individuals are people who have been shooting for most of their life or if not like shooting for a decade or more. Um, and it, it gets hard because you've got some big names in, in the sport who go ahead and do shots like that and then they put it on YouTube and it's just that straight away everyone thinks that that's then the new okay range to shoot from. Um, but I've, I've kind of met up with a fair few bow hunters that I, I actually really look up to and they're, they're young blokes and they say, mate, if you're if you're further than 20 metres away, you're too far. Like you, there's too much things that can go wrong. So I think, yeah, the first thing is practising and, and going through your shot placement. And going Like you can shoot five metres and just go through your shot process. That actual making that re- a repeatable process, so it's the same every single time, whether you're in front of a target or whether you're in front of an animal, that's the first thing. Like making that shot process as, as repeatable as possible and the second one is, is practice on getting in close to animals and do that as much as possible. Even if you don't feel like, even if you're not going to go and hunt that animal, get in close on it. Like I've told people, try to stalk up on a kangaroo in the field or try to get yourself as close as possible to a cow, even though it's not going to be the same thing. And what I'll actually do every once in a while, it's quite weird because I live in Brizzy, so you don't really get much of an opportunity to stalk on things. I've got a little dog, so I'll just stalk up on her when she's sleeping or when she's out in the yard. I'll just get out and I'll see how quiet I can be and how, how close I can be to her. Um, without her noticing because that's literally all you're doing when you're out in the wild. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I guess that probably goes into our next t- uh, question of top two to three bow hunting tips, but any more tips you reckon, you know, to get people well on their way to, to being successful, I guess on all types of game? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I didn't know before I started um, was to make sure that you've shot in your, like tuned in your broadhead tips. So what happened was I actually went out and I, I've been using my field point tip. So that's just like the, the regular pointy arrow tip that you see. And then I transitioned them to some of the broadheads and I had like these three blade broadheads. And what happened was because my broadheads weren't tuned in, they were shooting differently to what my field points were shooting. And so I went out and I, I learned the hard way um, because I went and actually shot a pig and, and the pig got away. It, it lived to see another day, I'm sure, because they're so, so tough. But 
that guilt and whatever else that comes with it is pretty is pretty damaging to yourself. And so realistically, so you don't go through that, is making sure that your broadheads are, are tuned in. That's a that's a massive one. And it's not necessarily once you've tuned in one broadhead that all broadheads will work the same. Um, each broadhead can be a little bit different. So making sure that you go through, if you've got um, a brand of broadheads that you want to use, go through and shoot one of them, maybe even shoot all of them before you go out and, and use them all on animals. Um, and then if you've got different broadheads that you want to use, make sure that your bow is tuned in for all of that as well. I think that's that's kind of like the big one when it comes down to hunting. And some people say, hey, when am I able to start hunting? Like, how do you know you're ready to start hunting? And some people might say, hey, like a small dinner plate, if you can get within that consistently, then then that's a good, that's a good show. And I think realistically, um, the, the hunting process kind of pieces together for you no matter how however you go about it as long as you are consistently going through your shot process and consistently being good with your shots like if you're shooting a, a target and it's 30 47 years apart all the time i'd say hey like you either need to get a lot closer to that target or you need to just keep practicing <laughs> yeah and no, i agree you, you see you do see bringing up what you said before you do see a lot of the you know, the quote-unquote bow hunting celebs out there, you know, pulling off these long shots, you know, well up to 100 metres. And I'm just like, you know, but the average person can't do that. Why are we sort of pushing that sort of thing on? Not, not that necessarily they're pushing that on to people, but I guess it's the perception that people think they can go out there with limited practice and start pulling off, you know, kill shots on animals at, you know, 100 yeah. metres. And, and uh, people always, and this is an interesting thing, people always talk about, you know, war ethics, you know, like long-range shooting for an example. I partake in that uh, quite a fair bit. Not just on targets, but I find the ethics to me is what I've, what I'm experienced, what I feel comfortable in doing, and what I think I can do. If I think the shot may not work out, then I believe that's unethical. If I believe I can't make that shot, if I believe I can make the shot, I believe it's ethical. Um, if I yeah, if I know right. I can make the shot, so uh, you know, ethics is deemed different to a lot of different people. But I think people need to get out there and. Same as shooting is like bow hunting. It's it's get out there, practice, practice, practice. You know, shoot some gongs for you know six to twelve months. Know your wind, get to learn yeah. that sort of thing. Um, if it's too windy, you know, perhaps reconsider coming back. You know, tomorrow, the next morning. Um, you know, different things. You know, it's probably the same when you you know you you go with a bow. You know, if you've got you know crazy winds or you haven't got your gear set up properly, you know, you're in for a recipe for disaster before you start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And realistically, I think if you if you can be confident in your gear, that's half the battle because you want to know that when you knock an arrow in bow hunting, that that animal's already dead. You shouldn't you shouldn't even have to think about that realistically. Like unless the wind shifts, you should be that confident in your gear and that shot that you're about to take that you, that you don't even knock that arrow until that process is ready. Ab- absolutely, man, mate. Where do you see your you know yourself on your in the next five years on your on your hunting journey? Yeah, I really hope I've just had more experience. I've got more critters down. And to be honest, I hope I'm getting a, a whole heap of other people into it, like being able to take people on the on the hunts with me because um, it's been such a massive eye-opener and it's given me so much joy. And um, just the, the learning process that's gone on with hunting and being in the wild has just been so giving to me that I, I just want to be able to give that experience to other people. So realistically, in five years' time, I think it's going to be much the same, hopefully with a few deer down, um, and, and realistically, hopefully <laughs> helping a few other people to get their first deer down as well. Yeah, good. All right, so we always like to finish off generally with a, 
you know, like a good hunting story, perhaps, you know, one you can look back on and you remember fondly, you know. So when you tell the story, I always tell people I want to feel like I'm there. I want to feel like I'm living this story. So time of year, you know, where you were, not not obviously exactly, but, you know, roughly where you were, what sort of species you were hunting, time of day, morning, wind. I want to feel like I'm there. Yeah. So, I mean, I've actually got two that I'd love to tell you. Um, one of them they're both in regards to red deer. So we all know what the outcome is, but the best thing is, is that these experiences are just, they're so ingrained in my head and, and realistically they're experiences that I'll probably never forget, even though the, the animal isn't down at the end of the day. But pretty much I've got this paddock that has, if you think about it, a valley on each side of it going into this midsection that's actually quite a flat plain, but it's just completely covered in trees. Like it's, it's pretty thick and we actually call it the scrub paddock um, because it's full of scrub. And I was walking down one of these valleys, and there's almost like a ridge in between the two valleys that before it goes onto this plain. And in the middle of this plain, there's this there's this dam. And so I know that the deer typically frequent there. Um, and so I was cruising along the ridge, and I was coming down into the valley. I just had to make it over this next ridge. So I was then looking at the and looking at the dam and looking at this this plain section, even though it is full of scrub. And I got there, and I'd been talking to the farmer about it, and they said. Um, there's no cattle down there. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine in this in this paddock. Because I've found quite typically the reds are really quite specific with where they'll go, and if the cattle are there, they'll typically be in the opposite paddock to where they're not. So that's a good tip straight away. Is if yeah, you talk to your farmers and then find out exactly where their their stock are because it will help you out a lot. And the the farmer that I go to, they they breed um, red Brahmins, and so. I got into this field and I've come over this ridge and I'm looking straight down towards the dam. And as I've looked, I'm like, mate, these freaking Brahmins are in the in the yard. Like, what the heck's going on? And then it moved and I saw its antlers and there's this massive, massive red deer, like huge, the biggest red deer I've ever seen. And I, I, I've now seen quite a lot of red deer out in the bush and this was truly a monster. I was like, like flabbergasted with how big he was. And there was two younger stags with him. Um, and then the, this guy was just there. He was just a freaking tank. I was like, oh, my God. So my heartbeat's already gone crazy because I haven't actually <laughs> yeah. got, a, got, a, got an animal down yet. Um, and I was just like, this is going to be it. Like, this is this is the day it happens. I'm going to get this freaking tank, and it's going to be the best story ever. And I start getting closer and closer to them, and I was kind of glassing and trying to move only when they were eating, only when they were, when they were playing around. And eventually they ended up in the river. I'm sorry, in the, in the dam. And so oh, yeah. they're splashing around and having a great time in the dam. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, it's pretty dry. It's pretty crunchy. The wind's in my favor. It's blowing straight in my face. Uh, and in regards to time of year, it was, it was in August. So it was reasonably cool. No, I'm, I'm lying. It was in October. So it was in spring. It was just starting to get um, pretty warm. So it was warm, hence why they were playing in the water. Um, and I was like, okay, this is all perfect. Like, it's all working out pretty well. And there's in, the, in regards to the dam, there's one – face of the dam that's completely open and the rest of it is is almost like um the dig-in of the dam so it's like a little mound that that gets the rest of it in and so i'm coming at it from the angle of the the flat range where you can literally see from the dam straight out and there's all these bushes so you can't literally see see me but i can look over these bushes and see this deer and i've got in nice and close and as i was as i was probably 20 meters from them i picked up my range finder and 
the release that I use is a trigger release. So it's attached to your wrist and it comes down, sits in your hand and it's like a little metal object. And that little metal object managed to tap my rangefinder, and that was enough for them to go, there's something here. And they jumped and went over the other side of the mound. I'm like, God damn it, I've just ruined this. But then they just sat there. They just sat down and had a good old time. They just kept playing around and eating food. I was like, no, nah, this is all good. Like, this is going to happen. This is where it happened. Like, give yourself the confidence. Get on in there. So I've gone around. They're on the right-hand side of the di- of the dam. I've gone to the left-hand side of the dam. And there's lantana bushes that sit all around the dam. So I've gone around to the left side. I've looked out, and the big boy is literally standing 15 meters right in front of me. I'm like, oh, my heart rate went through the roof. Like, it was absolutely <laughs> crazy. I couldn't control myself. Yeah. I've knocked my arrow. And my whole shaft and my arrow was just moving like side to side with the with the adrenaline, like the the movement, just like, oh my God, this is all happening. And I've gone to I've gone to put my trigger on. And as I've gone to pull back, the wind has blown straight on my neck. And I just knew it was done. That was gone. And so this deer, this freaking deer of a lifetime was seen right in front of me 15 meters. And I thought it was going to be my first kill. And the, the wind just shifted and it just shifted like that, unfortunately. And um, yeah, that was, that was that one over. And they ran off and it was crazy. Even as they ran off, you could kind of just see them trotting away as they do just so elegantly. Um, and he was just, just an absolute tank. He just kept just, he was just so much bigger than the other boys and just kept moving. So I'm still yet to see him. And there's a, there's another, there's a rifle hunter that goes to the property and he hasn't actually seen him yet. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm claiming it in mind. He's going to, he's going to eventually be there. It might be the 10 year hunt, but we'll get there. <laughs> I feel you, man. I remember doing that yeah. a lot. You just, you, you know, I've seen my first year. You just, even with, doesn't matter if you've got firearm bow or even if you've got nothing in your hands, just to see, you know that, and if you, as I always say, if your heart's not racing, you're in the wrong game. You're not, you know, you're not really mm-hmm. hunting, are yeah. you? And you know, yeah. it's hard to get control of. It really is. Even still, I see them. You know, sometimes if I see them, like before that, like I don't get surprised. I'm less likely to have a problem. But sometimes I've been there. They just popped out of a game trail 30 meters to my left, and they just start feeding. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, heart starts racing. Then I'm about to shoot one, and then all of a sudden, another one pops out, looking left and right. I'm like, "Oh shit! It sprung me. How many more are in the in the forest? You know, waiting to pop out." Yeah, oh, I feel yeah, you, man. Real, isn't it? Oh, Do you have so... time for one more? Or we got to cut it. Um, yeah, no, it's all right. Yeah, no, go one more. It's all good. Yeah. Okay, so in um, in June, July, August, like in the colder months, the the boys usually bachelor up when it comes to the reds in particular. So up, up on this property, um, there's just like this big open paddock where it's kind of like maybe two or three ridges within the paddock and it runs lengthways of those. So I've, um, I've come into it. And I actually, I'd, I'd gone up the weekend before and I'd gotten pretty close to them. And I was like, you know what? I need to get back there. So I decided to go up for a day trip. So I hopped up at 2.30 in the morning. I drove my three and a half hours to get there and I got there and I just parked my car and turned it off and just wanted to sit in that front paddock and just see what it was about. And straight away, as soon as I turned off my car, it was pitch black, but I could still hear just the antlers knocking. Like they were just locking antlers <laughs> and doing their little thing. I was like, oh, we're on here. Um, obviously, I didn't want to sit right there, so I quickly checked which way the wind was going. I drove my car to the other end of the field, like the other end of the paddock, because that was just in my favor for the wind. So I, I got set up and I made my way back. And as first light came up, I was literally looking at these six bachelors, like, the, yeah, six boys just hanging out in the field. 
And um, yeah, a few of them with really, really good heads on them, just really pretty heads. And then there was a, a little, um, a little forky, and then there was a spiker that had nubs on him. And one of the first podcasts I ever did was with a guy called Kevin Schilt, who's absolutely awesome bow hunter and really, really good and really knowledgeable on the reds. Um, and so he actually said, if you ever see a, a, a spiker with nubs, get rid of him because he's, he's terrible for the herd. And that just kind of it was buried in my head. It kind of stuck in my head for a fair bit. And so ended up getting really close. I was in, I was in gumboots that morning because it was pretty wet and I ended up taking the gumboots off and I was just crawling through this grass and I'm getting closer and closer. And it was quite windy that morning. So I meant that I could cover quite a lot of ground and be almost quite noisy without it being a big issue. Um, and I, I kind of had to get this little dip where water runs off of the, the side of the road. And I had to get into that to be able to get a good shot. And so I made my way down into it. And as I was making my way across, all these cows that were actually, and this is funny because it goes against what I just said before, but there was a few cows in the paddock and they were just hanging out. It was quite quite a far way away yet, maybe like a good hundred meters off from where the deer were. But these cows kind of just stopped and they're looking at me and they're like, there's definitely something there. We don't really know what it is, but we'll just keep our eye on it. So it meant I had to pause up for quite a while. So I waited until they kind of ate their way across the field a bit more and then made my way into the valley. And by the time I got there, it was too late to take a shot. They were, they were out in the open and too far away. So I was like, you know what? This is this is kind of one of those opportunities where you just need to try and see what you can do. So I just started crawling towards them. I got closer and closer and closer. And eventually I just put this um, bush behind me and I was sitting there. I was just kneeling. I had some of the, the best stags were at like 30, uh, 32 and 33. There was one that was at, at 30 by himself. And then this spiky, the, the one that had a bit of a nub head, he was at 40. And I was like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And Always away, shoot the closest one. <laughs> exactly right. And for some stupid reason, and it's probably because of exactly what I said about Kev's Kev's uh, words of warning, like if you see a nub head, get rid of it. So I was like, you know what? He's got he's got nothing in him. He's a young boy. I might as well take him. Like he'll probably be the tastiest out of them all anyway. Um, so I took this shot, arranged him, and sure enough, my arrow fell short. It went underneath his underneath and straight through his front legs. So it would have been a good shot if, if he'd been closer. But yeah, um, I think what happened is I actually ranged the grass that was just in front of him. And so it ended up going, yeah, it was, it was one of those, shots where it all felt completely perfect and I was like he's going to fall within 20 meters like this is going to be an all-time greatness whilst I've, I've released this arrow and I've watched it fly it's sailing straight for him I'm like yes today is the day and then it just sunk straight underneath, <laughs> his, underneath his chest and through his legs I was like god Damn it. You know and what I reckon? And, yeah. Bit of reverse psychology next time. Saying, "Nah, I'm not going to get this deer. I'm not going to get this animal. It's just not going to happen." <laughs> and then yeah, bang, you knock one down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, then, then the funny thing is, like, I've, I've put down quite a few animals, but my two, two of my favourite hunting stories are actually those two because. At the end of the day, the thing didn't happen, but realistically to get back close and just to see the animals in their prime doing their things that they do, like playing in the water or, or locking antlers and just having those little fights, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. And realistically, it's probably more so what I've got into bow hunting for rather than it just being about the actual killing process. Absolutely, man. Anything to finish off? You'd like to obviously you know, tell us about, again, social media, how they can download your show or any final advice you'd like to give? Yeah, once again, if you if you search becoming a bow hunter, you'll be able to find all the all the um, stories in there. And I think some of the best best messages I get are 
from the rifle hunters who have transitioned to being bow hunters and picking up a bow and trying it out. So if you're interested in, in getting really up close and personal with the, the animals, I'd really, really recommend getting into bow hunting. Um, don't expect to put down as much game, and I think that is completely fine as well because it's a, it's a whole new world. And I've said it many times, it's quite ignorant of me, but I've said if I was a rifle hunter, I'd definitely have some deer down by now. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I really think that how close – as a bow hunter you have to get is um it's really a different game and it's it's really quite a challenge and i think it's something that everyone should at least try to do i think it's great all right maddie turner joins me here from becoming a bow hunter podcast guys get on there support listen um you know support the people that are you know pumping out the good knowledge out there on all things hunting whether it's bow hunting whether it's fishing shooting um give him a like check out his podcast check him out on instagram so maddie thanks for joining me mate i really appreciate it and thanks for being a part of the show mate i really appreciate it so thanks again mate joe thank you it's been uh it's so good to have you interview me mate it's been a lot of fun so thank you very much You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.